Uh, we are on a series that's titled Emotions, and especially if you're a guy who just walked up into our church for the first time, you're like, I knew it! I knew church would just be girl stuff, and she dragged me here, and I want to tell you, like, I... I, I get it. Emotions may not be the favorite thing for men to talk about. And especially, like, I'll tell you, being someone, thank you so much, Aspen, being someone who, I grew up in a single mom household, and I had an older sister, and so I was surrounded by estrogen all the time. And then I got married, and my wife is very emotionally expressive. Like, if you just walk up to her and she's not expecting you, like she will get started and she will have an expression because she's very emotionally expressive. And then we had three daughters in a row. Emotions everywhere in my life, okay? I, I'm telling you, I get that. But still, just within my personality, for whatever reason, like I... I know that when I teach, I can be pretty expressive, but you're going to probably be disappointed with me if you hang out with me in real life because I'm just, I'm pretty slow and steady. I don't have really high ups and I don't have really down downs. Like I'm a pretty steady fellow and maybe that's for different reasons. I don't know, but I know that in my world, I am not as emotionally expressive. And as I've been mentored by people and just as a healthy thing, which I'm going to tell you, if you've never done this, I encourage you doing it. When I, before we got um, in the process of planting Gulfside, I did some counseling to just check on my emotional health. And one of the things that he talked to me about is that to be emotionally healthy, you have to allow for some expression of emotion, Paul. Like, like you have to just... It, you have to be real with where you're at. And when you try to hold the poker face when you're sad and pretend like things are good, that's not healthy. And if you're joyful and excited, you shouldn't hide that either. And it's been a road that I've had to go down of learning about, okay, what is healthy expression? Because I'm going to tell you, especially now that I have a son, the, the, the life is very different of the girls. Like, you know, like we have, we've had some emotional conversations because it's like, I'm so sad that they killed the chicken to make the chicken nuggets. And I'm so sad that the chicken nuggets taste so good that I'm still going to eat them. And like, this is a thing that girls have to process. And, and boys, it's like, we're watching a show at home and, and he sees like something sad and he's like, this TV is making my eyes water and I don't like it. Like, and, and it's a very different thing. And so whether you know, you, you fit that stereotype or maybe you're flipped and you're the opposite. As we look at scripture, we see that there are healthy displays of emotion and God actually put emotion in us for a reason. It, it is of benefit to your soul when you're true to where you're at. And as we study the life of Christ, we actually see him displaying a whole range of emotions. And we talked about that, that one, one pastor who studied his life identified 39 distinct emotions and feelings that Jesus displayed. And this week, we're gonna talk about what I would say is one strand, but we're gonna talk about, about both ends of the strand, which is joy and sadness. That, that if there's a line about how you're doing in this area of emotional health, the, the one side is when everything is great, we're just filled with joy, but it's on that same strand of emotional health that the far side is depression and sadness. And, and as we get into this today, there, first of all, to just build your perspective of Jesus, he was not weeping through all of the New Testament. Like, like he was teaching and he was excited and, and he saw people change their life and he was rejoicing. Like he, he wasn't just this weeping prophet. That wasn't Jesus, that was Jeremiah in, in, in scripture. But Jesus, we do see a few times where he let his heart and the fact that his heart was wrenched about something be on display. The, the shortest 
piece of scripture that we've identified, and just for clarity's sake, we added the chapters and numbers to scripture so we could find something clearly. Just so you know, so it's okay if you talk about half a verse sometimes, but John eleven thirty five is described as the shortest verse of scripture, which is very simply just that Jesus wept. And when his friend Lazarus passed away and people were heartbroken about it, even though he was going to bring him back, Jesus let his tears be on display and he lived in that moment. In Hebrews chapter 11, it talked about Jesus' prayer life and that he would, he would be in such intense moments of prayer that, that he would be, be weeping in prayer. And one of the other really clear moments where his heart was just on display, where things were heavy on his heart, and he let it be known, what was in Matthew 23, verse 37. And I'll put this up on the screen as I read it. And this was before he went in on the triumphal entry to Jerusalem. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wing. And you were not willing. When it describes this moment in the Gospel of Luke, it actually adds the fact that he was weeping over Jerusalem before his entry. Like his heart was broken. And it wasn't broken because they were so just so bad. It was broken because they were so far away. And that his desire for his people was like that of a mother hen, that he would just bring them in close. But their hearts were so turned from him that they wouldn't have it. And this brought Jesus to to that difficult end. And and so I want to just first start because what today is going to be about is we're going to try to discover some of what broke Jesus' heart and what brought him joy. Bible school and it's in your head, but I I want to just push it a little bit deeper into your heart today. I understand this may not be brand new content for all of you. Some of you guys maybe haven't heard this story, but the point is to push this into our understanding of God's love for us, because this is what it's about. First of all, we're starting from the point that Jesus displayed that his heart was passionately moved towards seeing his people brought in close to his heart. And then in the Gospel of Luke 15, to give you some context about the passage, of what's around this passage that we're about to read, Jesus had just taught, and he taught about the good shepherd, who if he had 100 sheep and one of them got away, wouldn't you just leave the 99 to go find the one? And he taught about a lost coin. He said, if you had precious coins that were in your house and one got lost in your house, wouldn't you just Pick everything up, clean everything until you found that one lost coin. Even though you still had enough without it, you'd go looking for those things. And the reason that he's teaching on that and the reason that he teaches about this lost son next is what the very beginning of the Gospel of Luke chapter 15 verse 1 says. And it it says, the tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. The reason that Jesus went on this, this tangent, this teaching, this rant, if you will, I mean, like he, he was going after them on this because the leaders, the spiritual leaders that were around listening to Jesus, they were getting upset. They were getting bothered because sinful people were coming around to sit to, and listen to the teachings of Jesus. And so when he saw that the religious leaders were bothered that these lost people were showing up, Jesus began to say, you know, isn't the good shepherd the one who goes looks for the lost sheep? Doesn't it make sense that if you lose a valuable coin in your house that you stop everything else and you look for it? 
And then this is our passage for today, starting in verse 11 of the Gospel of Luke, chapter chapter 15. It says, to illustrate the point further. So first of all, two stories weren't enough. Like the people who are upset that lost people are showing up and spending time with Jesus, the people that are upset that notorious sinners, sinners with a reputation are showing up and they're spending time around Jesus, listening to him, and that Jesus is eating meals with him, with them, which is like saying, hey, we're, we're such close friends, we're like families. Jesus was doing this, it was upsetting the religious folks, and to, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them a story. He said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him And the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. It's always the youngest, isn't it? Like, it's always the younger kids. Like, there's only a few oldest kids in here because there's only a couple people who chuckled at that. We must have a high younger kid population in here. But there's a truth that it seems like there's this this thing that younger kids can definitely get the bad rap of being the favored child. And then, so when they have that rap already, I'm also pretty much the youngest kid in my household as well. And so I was accused of being the favorite child, the baby all the time. And so when the baby makes mistakes, it's always a little bit more magnified. But man, I want to tell you, this youngest kid, he did it up. Because we have really changed from an honor culture to to something different. And this is not to disparage the way that kids are, the way that we parents now. I just want to make sure you recognize how incredibly different it is now. Because to speak back to your father then It was a risk, like more so than it was in the 60s, more so than it was in the 1800s. Like I want you to understand that in Israel at this time, that if you were considered a rebellious son, it was legal for your dad to take you outside of the city gates and the community would come around your drunken rebellious son and help you put them to death. And I'm not saying that that's just, but I'm telling you right now that the culture was such that if you were disrespectful to your parents in a severe way, if you were like, I can't wait for you to die, I just want your money and I want to go and live my life, you weren't just risking getting pushed out of your family, you were risking getting put to death. And to be someone who wasted everything on wild living You were putting your life at risk in this culture and time. And so the amount of disrespect that was in what this child did was tremendous. To bring dishonor to your family in what he did, it was tremendous. And and the choices that he made, just even moving away to a foreign land, this was incredibly difficult on families. It didn't happen much in this time. I mean, this would be comparable, like... Our airplanes have changed our perspective of how big the world is. And so I, I want to compare it to this, that if you had your son whom you loved, and he was like, hey, Elon Musk is planning in 2029 on sending people on a seven-month space voyage to Mars to go and set up a base and live their life there, this is what it was felt like if your kid said that to you. Like, I'm leaving 
this planet and I'm going to somewhere where you could never probably come and see me. The, dis- the moving to a distant land, it-, it brought dishonor to the family as well because they're like, I won't get to meet my grandkids. I won't get to be a part of your life. You're supposed to just build on our land and stay near us. And so the emotional disconnect that was here in this youngest son, it was tremendous. It was heartbreaking for them. And his plan, you know, it went about as good as someone moving to Vegas with all of their money and going and gambling it away and spending it away that it would go. He didn't do well. And in fact, once he ran out of money, something that was out of his control happened, a famine hit, and there was just no good work to be found. And so he ended up caring for pigs. And if you're not a a theologian, I want to make sure you know that the Hebrew people, they did not like to be around pigs. It, it, It was an unclean thing. And one of the, I'm sorry, I don't want to gross anyone out here, but to understand the disgust that they would have felt in working with pigs, it would be like if you were a plumber and you just decided, you know, I, I, I'm going to unclog the toilet, but I'm not going to use any instruments. I'm going to use my hands. Like that's the general disgust of like working with pigs that we would feel that's comparable. And for his family to find out that he went and he squandered all of the living and now he's working with pigs and so he's unclean and he's lost everything. And there's a point where he is in this rock bottom where he makes a recognition in verse 17, and we'll put this up on the screen. It says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I love in verse 17 when it says, when he finally came to his senses. Now, if you have a story in your life, as most all of you do, there's probably a couple points in your story where you would say, and this is one of the points where I came to my senses. Where I looked at what I was doing and how I was living and I recognized that God was not a part of the picture. Where I looked at what I was doing and how I was living and recognized that this substance was going to destroy my life. Where I recognized that this this relationship was unhealthy and it was not what God wanted for me and I need to get out of it. There's points where you come to your senses. But I want to applaud the younger son in this story because so many of us, we've had those points where we came to our senses but we decided to stay exactly where we were. And maybe if you're listening today or you're in here with us today, you have a recognition that I'm here at church because I'm coming to my senses and I need to make a change. And I want to tell you that when you get that moment of clarity, it's time to act. It's time to move. The passage actually, the, the direct word is that it says, I need to arise and go to my father. I need to get up and get going. And I want to tell you, when God gives you those moments of clarity, that it's like that where I'm at is not where I should be. You have to begin to move. You have to take the steps. If you're in church today, man, I'm proud of you. Keep going. Keep taking those steps towards your Father. He's going to meet you right where you are. And he recognizes even the people who are servants in my Father's household are so much better off than I am. Just to be around my father is going to be so much a better situation than what I've been living in. And so I want to give you three mistakes, and I'm going to throw them all up on the screen, but then I'm going to go through them. Three mistakes of the lost son. First, he missed all the blessings that he had. He looked back on his life at home, and he began to recognize just even 
having a safe place to live. Just even the, the beds that the servants slept in, just the way that the servants were treated, just the fact that they didn't have to tend to pigs and, and they, they had a respectable living. He began to look through his memories and recognize blessings that he didn't see as blessings before. And it, it brought him to the point where he even humbled his heart. Because if you want to talk about emotions and getting emotionally healthy, boy, pride can get in the way, can it? I think pride is actually one of the things that keeps us from expressing sadness and it keeps us from expressing joy because we want to pretend like we have it all together and we don't want to pretend, we, we don't want people to know that we're hurting. And, and if something makes us happy, I think so many, especially men, struggle with saying, saying, this is a great time in my life, like things are good because whatever reason we're afraid if people see us too, too joyous, they're going to judge us for that reason. Pride gets in the way in so many different emotions, but in sadness and joy, it can happen as well. But he broke enough to say, it doesn't matter about my ego. I want to get back to those blessings that I experienced in my father's household. Even if it's not as good as what I had before. The second thing is he misunderstood where his value came from because this this is what he thought. He thought, as I get home, I'm going to maybe, if I'm lucky, if my father is gracious, I'm going to get to be a servant because there's no possible way that I could ever be a son in my father's household again. And I know that you may not have had a perfect earthly father. You may not have had a good earthly father. You may not have had an earthly father involved at all in your life. And there may be baggage there that you carry over and you put onto your heavenly father, but I want to tell you this about God because this parable is about us and it's about God. That's who this parable is about. And you might associate with someone in this parable, but I want to tell you this, that if you felt like I've messed up so bad that I I could maybe just be someone who hangs around church, but I could never really belong there, you don't understand your value properly. Your value is not determined based on what you have done or what you will. Your value is is determined on the fact that the image of God was written across who you are at the moment uh, that your life began. The the moment that you were living, God looked at you and he said, I love you. The the times that you've been running from him, he's looked at you and said, I just want to pull you in close to my heart, but you haven't been willing. And so when you make the recognition that you need to get back into a right relationship with God, he's not thinking about keeping you off at a distance. He is ready to pull you in. And if you think your value is determined on how good you have been, or you think it's been stained by how bad you have been, you don't understand the way that God sees you, which is gonna be on display in this passage in in, in just a moment. And the third thing is he misjudged his father's love because he thought his father's love might be big enough to let him be a servant. But his father's love is so tremendously huge that it surpassed anything that he could have dreamed of on the walk home. In fact, culturally, it would have had some people shook if they saw this, if they saw culturally what happened. In in verse 20, we're going to continue to read the passage. We'll put this up on the screen. It says, so he returned to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, he was working on the speech through the whole walk, walk home, Like, you know, maybe I could just be a servant. He he begins his speech. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. 
And then dad interrupts him in verse 22. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with the feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Now he went home. He took the steps. He rehearsed the speech. And then when he got there, his father ran to him. And I I imagine that there would probably be a little tinge of fear when dad starts running towards you after you've done what you've done. It it took a lot to make a man in this culture run because you have to remember, they just weren't wearing pants. I mean, you call it like it is, they're wearing a glorified dress. Like, I mean, so like to run, to really run, you had to bend down and pick it up. And undignified things could happen when you pick your, your man dress up like that and start running towards someone. It would get blurred out if it was on YouTube, all right? You understand me? And so he is like, he doesn't care about looking dignified at this point. All that he cares about is that his son who was dead is back. And as he sees his son, I'm going to tell you, his son looked healthy and vibrant when he left. But when his son was coming back, he looked starved and smaller and weaker When his son left, his son was blessed with wealth. And when he came back, he looked poor and he looked ragged. He didn't even have sandals on his feet anymore, which was common for servants at that time. And and, and all the wealth is gone. There's no gold on his fingers. There's no robe on his shoulders. He sees his son emaciated and beaten down by this time that he spent away from him. And the father does not engage in conversations right then of, do you see what you did? Do you see how I told you? I warned you. You didn't listen. He didn't go to any of that. It was just pure rejoicing of your back. It wasn't, well, what have you done? Are you worthy of my love? None of those conversations. And in fact, he didn't even care what his son had to say because he was so happy that his son was back. He just turned and called towards the servants, get the finest robe in the house. Do you know who probably had the finest robe in the house? It was probably dad's. Do you know where the ring came from that they were going to put on his his shoulder? Get him a gold ring. It was probably dad's. He's saying, go and take from my stuff and, and bless my son. He's home. He was dead and now he is alive. And a party began to break out. But not everybody was as excited as the dad was. And this is where the story is supposed to hit for the religious people in the room. Verse 25, it says, Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day 
For your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're working around the house and you hear your family, like you're doing the dishes, you're folding the laundry, and you hear your family sitting around watching funny TikTok videos, I understand the anger that you can feel. When you feel like someone's not pulling their share of the weight around here, you want to have a conversation. I get that. But the illustration of this is he's saying, okay, here's the lost people, the notorious sinners who are coming home. It's like this son. And then the other son are the ones who are older, who understand more, who've had all the blessings of being in God's house. But your response to people coming home is like this. You say, I've I've been slaving for you. I, I I want to make sure you take notice of the way that he describes working in his father's house. Because this is a mindset that someone can slip into when they've been around the church for a long time. Like, I've been a slave to this place. I've been doing work here that I wouldn't have done if no one asked me to do it. Paul made me help in children's ministry during Easter. And then they asked me if I'd keep doing it. And I said, yes, and I don't want to do it. Like, that's a mentality that people can fall into. It's it's kind of the difference between a, a paycheck and a thank you card. Like you, you do something because you expect to get something from it. Like when we get a paycheck from our employer, we don't really say thank you. We say you better. Like, like I wasn't doing this for free. Like I demand my pay. Like if you don't give me my paycheck, I will see you in court and I will get a bigger paycheck. Like I'm going to get paid. And, and we do things because we're getting paid. We show up to work. But then like a thank you card is a step that we take not because we earn they earned us writing a thank you card to them, but it's, someone did something for us and we want to show our appreciation. Like someone did something tremendous. Some, you got sick and someone brought you meals and you have, of what they send them a thank you card. It's not that they earned it. It's that you're so appreciative of what they've done for you that you just feel pushed to do something re- to return that love. And people in the house of God, I want to tell you, this is how it should be. That Our acts of service, our engagement, our involvement here in this community, this body, it should be responsive to God's love, not responsive to a sense of obligation or guilt. Because if you are serving out of obligation and guilt, you are going to tire out and you are going to burn out and you're going to eventually say, I'm sick of this, I've been slaving for you and I don't want to do it anymore. But when you continue to say, I know all that God has done for me, in fact, not only what Christ did on the cross and the way that he moves my heart even today, I can think back to the people who maybe served me when I was a kid and they taught and, ha- and the impact that it had on me and I just want to bless someone else. Those are two very different mindsets. And the, the, this older son, he looked at the way that he had been living his life and he said, I'm angry that people are celebrating while I'm working. I'm angry that they're, they have music and dancing and celebration. Because though I've been here, I've never got this kind of party, was his mentality. And so there's three similar, <laughs> three familiar mistakes from the older son. He missed all the blessings that he had. He didn't go anywhere, but he was missing it. Everything that the father had was his. All of the celebration, all of the joy, all of the presence of being with him was right there. And he was with him, but his heart was not with him. And this older son, he missed all the blessings that he had. 
Second, he misunderstood where his value came from. His thought with his father was, I've done all this for you, and so I should be more valuable than him. But the father looked and said, you're both my sons. And as undignified as it was for the father to go running after this prodigal son who had been wasting his resources and wasting his life, it was also undignified for a father to come and chase an obstinate son who says, I won't go into the party because he's there and because you're celebrating. And this day, the father said, you get in the house and he went in the house. But the father's heart was so inclined that he went to the older son and he sat and he reasoned with him and he said, you have to understand your brother was dead and now he's alive and we have to celebrate. The older son misunderstood where his value came from. And then the third is he misjudged his father's love. He thought the love was to be earned, not just given. He, he knew what his dad wanted him to do, but maybe he missed exactly how his dad wanted him to be. And so these are three mistakes that we see within both. And I wonder who you identify with the most. Have you been the child who wandered off, but you finally figured it out and you finally started moving towards home and you're wondering, you know, will God bring me back in? Or you're the one who's been around the house for a while and you've been getting bitter and callous to the things of God because you've done things, but your heart has gotten far away from him. No matter which person you identify with the most, I want to tell you, God's position is the same to either side because both problems are the same in each child and both children are invited. Will you just come back? Will you come back in? And band, if you guys will come on out, I'm going to begin to wrap this up. And so those are the mistakes. The, the two sons made very similar mistakes in how they saw things. But I wonder to make this personal to you, um, same three questions. Do you, do you recognize all of your blessings? The younger son he missed his blessings enough that he was willing to leave them and go and waste everything that he had. The older son had blessings right around him, but he never observed them enough to really enjoy them. He just focused on what had to be done. And I want to I wanna close in with this thought, and I'm going to get to the other two, but this is a thought that's run through my head before, and so I've shared this with you before, but I just it helps me, so I want to impress it upon you. If you could travel through time and go back 30 years and be with the people who were important in your life 30 years ago. You get eight hours. I wonder what you would do. The people that have passed that you could spend that time with, the friends that are now far away, like eight hours 30 years ago in that world. I hope you remember the phone numbers because it's, you know, contacting people was different 30 years ago. You need a quarter and a pay phone. You have to show up at their door. And I imagine that you would probably want to just sit down at the table. You'd want to put your arms around them. There's things that you'd want to say. And it's, it's impressed on my heart that, that right now I, I am living in some of the best years of my life right now. And I often think to myself, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, what would I give to travel back to this day where my son is six? What would I give to enjoy these blessings where he wants to sit and play with Legos? What would I give to sit here and enjoy a date with my wife right now? 
years down the road. And there are blessings that are in your household right now that maybe have begun to feel like burdens and you've been missing how much you would give to come back and visit this moment. And if you don't see your blessings for what they are, it's very easy for you to walk away from them. It's very easy for you to begin to think, I'm slaving away for these things when it's really your most prized treasures. Do you recognize your blessings? Do you know where your value comes from? When you're a believer in Christ, when you recognize that Jesus paid for all of my sins so that I could come back to my heavenly Father, that his death on the cross paid the way for me, that his resurrection showed power over death and the grave and hell so I could be back connected to my heavenly Father, do you recognize that when you believe that, you have been adopted into God's family and nothing can take you out of his hand? There's nothing that can diminish your value. You are a child, you are a daughter, you are a son of God. And no matter what road you've walked down, he wants you back at home. Do you know the depth of the Father's love for you? Do you know how deep and wide his love is? That no matter what you felt in regards to guilt and shame, the greatest joy that we see described in Scripture is the celebration that happens in heaven when one lost person comes back home, when one lost person is found. And if you felt guilt about coming back to God, if you felt guilt about coming back to church, I wanna make sure you understand that heaven rejoices when you come home. What Jesus wants you to know about the heavenly Father's love is that if you've been gone for a long time, he is running to you in an undignified way because his love is so expansive. And so when you begin to feel the wake-up call, the recognition of the reality that you are away from where you should be and it's time to go home, the heavenly Father says, I've been waiting for this moment. Jesus says, I've been waiting for this moment. In the times that you weren't willing, now that you're willing, come on back. So church, if you've strayed, church, if it's been a long time, or church, if you've grown bitter, it's time to come back to the Father's heart. And the joy of the heart of Christ is seeing the lost found. And that's what we want for you is to know that you have a close relationship with God. That's what we want for our city. We wanna be invitational to our neighbors and our friends and coworkers because this is where Christ has joy. Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's the joy of his heart. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that in spite of our mistakes, in all honesty and recognition of them, you still look at us and you say, I love you, my child. I've missed you. I've wanted you home. So, We bring before you our mistakes and openness and transparency and we just ask that you would forgive. Help us to know that we are new creations as 2 Corinthians 5 says we are and that that the old is gone and the new has come. And help us to not just work in your house but to be filled with love and joy in your house as we live this life, bringing honor to you and encouraging each other in Jesus' name.